0: Well, unless you're very unusual, and I don't think you are, you're wondering, who in the Sam Hill is this guy? (laughs) It is great to be with you this morning, especially on a day of such significance in the life of the youngest. I'm John Daniel, and I am a retired Presbyterian pastor in the ECO, and in a sense, a part of Third Congregation. Um, I served most recently at Crestwood, across the river, uh, for a number of years. And over those years, I have known, I believe, all of your pastors. And it has been a privilege to work alongside them. And so I am grateful for the opportunity to be here. Jenny, my wife, and I uh, came home, really, to third in retirement. Years ago, I was on staff here in the uh, uh, age of Arnold Pate. Now that's a ways back. All that's much older than I am, you understand. Uh, but it was, it, it's a reminder to me that this has been an amazingly strong and wonderful congregation of God's people for a very long time. And uh, it is wonderful to be a part of it and to be back home in this new day and this new age. So Thank you for the privilege to be with you this morning. Today's the first Sunday of Advent. Wow. Some might say, time's flying. But I think this year, more will say, I thought it would never get here. (laughs) Two things are very clear, at least to me, and it is that Advent this year will be like Advent we have never had. It will be different in almost every way. It is also a point in our lives where we not only are looking forward to what Advent is and what Advent brings, but we're starving for it. We're beyond looking forward. We are hungry to the point of starving for everything that Advent and Christmas brings into our lives. While this is a, an incredibly hard season of life for all of us in some ways and for some in very profound and life-changing ways, we're not going to do a lot of the things that are busy during Christmas. Life's going to be different. We're not going to be doing a lot of the things that seem ordinary and sweet and normal and sentimental in many aspects. Those things are good and they're fun and they're enjoyable but it's likely that we're going to see Christmas and this preparation time in a very, very different way. As we move into Advent, we do that today continuing in the context of Revelation. Corey has done a marvelous job of opening up the book of Revelation to us over these weeks. It's been a refreshing Approach, and it takes us to the true depth of what Revelation is all about. In the broadest sense, I want to remind you this morning, particularly because of the specific task in front of us, I want to remind you that Revelation is not giving us really any new data at all about the gospel. Amazing, isn't it? That something so different, Something that is so startling isn't really telling us anything new. But Revelation is unveiling the truth. Revelation is opening up the truth, and in the midst of that, it is saying to us in this time that life is not fully as it seems. It's not exactly what it all looks like. It is unveiling that there is more to reality than meets the unaided eye and senses that God is at work doing things that we either forget or do not give attention to. And Revelation opens our sensitivity to that truth. Going on around us, friends, is a fierce and an intense battle. It is virtually a war. You heard that taught just a few weeks ago. The dragon of revelation and evil and Satan is doing all he can to pull us away from the truth of the incarnation and who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. After all, evil was thwarted in its attempt to deal with Jesus in Bethlehem, if you will remember. And now we live in a world where he is using every means possible to attack those who follow and who love Jesus. But things are not as they seem. And so we begin Advent in this theme of waiting for wrath. Waiting for wrath. You know, we long, we long for judgment and for justice against the evil in the world. We long to be able to see that which is so horrid in our world utterly destroyed and removed. We long for God to sort it out and be done with it. And that brings us to the text today. So let me pray for God's Spirit to move in our midst and then we will hear the reading of the Word of God from Jenny Benson, who is the director of Parish Life here at Third. Let's pray. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit... Stir in our hearts and our minds. Give us clearer understanding, but deepen our passion and our call to be your people in this world. Lord, open our ears and our eyes, for we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Listen to the reading of God's word. Revelation
1: 14, verses 6 through 20, 15, verse 1. 16, verse 1, and verse 17. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who is sitting on the cloud, Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the Lord is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too took a sharp sickle. Still another angel, who had charge of the fire, came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine, because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the wine press outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign seven angels with the seven last plagues last because with them god's wrath is completed then i heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels go pour out the seven bowls of god's wrath on the earth and i heard the altar respond yes lord god almighty true and just are your judgments this is the word of the lord
0: thanks be to god When was the last time you had conversation over lunch about judgment? Not very often. Wrath, judgment, justice. In many ways, it's not exactly what we want to hear, is it? We somehow want to hear a word that there's a salve that's going to make everything good and comfortable. Make everything easy and wipe away all the things that are hard and difficult. The fact of the matter is that Revelation is telling us that judgment and wrath is the mercy of God. It is the mercy of God. Now, I didn't think it was the mercy of God when Corey called me and said, I want you to preach for me on the 29th, would you be available? And I said, well, I am available, and I would be honored and delighted to do it. He says, well, you may want to know what the text is before you say yes. And I said, well, what does that mean? And he said, you'll be preaching on waiting for wrath. I said, you're kidding me. (laughs) Advent, first Sunday, wrath in this world, in this time? He said, yeah. So here we are. If ever there's a time in our lives when we need to see just how it is that things are not as they seem, believe me, it's today. If ever the world has needed to hear a message that is different from everything that confronts us, it is today. We wait for God to truly sort out things in life, to get it all figured out and sorted out and take care of these things so that we can move on with the life that we want to live. The first hearers of this message in Revelation heard this as profoundly good news those who were struggling with a world that was making them feel like they were losing everything that they were about and being defeated in every place that they turned and even dying because they dared to follow Jesus Christ, a word of judgment and justice and wrath on the evil of the world was good news. Something else was going on in their world and in ours. So I want you to leave here today with three things. I want you to to hear what God's wrath is, and maybe to a degree what it's not. I want you to go home and to hear and know that the wrath of God is good news, and understand why. And I want you to hear that there is a specific challenge to us that we don't get a pass on that's in this passage. John shows us just what wrath is. Earl Palmer, one of the great preachers in the Christian pulpits for decades, has said that this passage is one of the most horrible passages in all of Revelation, if not all of the Bible. I mean, just listen to the language. Just listen to the language, the smoke of those who have who suffer, the, the blood that is spilled in such volumes, the destruction, the fear, the anguish, justice, judgment, on and on. In many ways, Revelation is like a great audiovisual presentation. It's not telling us anything new. But it's making clearer and articulates for us that which we see when we pull back the curtains of confusion. That which we see when we we look, and that which is causing a cloud to be in front of us is moved away. And we see it for what it really is. One of our challenges in dealing with and understanding God's wrath, wrath really relates to emotion, we just misunderstand. We bring our humanness into the midst of it. What does John mean when he talks about wrath? What is Jesus saying to him and what is he conveying to us? John is not referring to an intense emotional dust-up of anger with us as human beings by our God. It's just not what's there. But how often do we think of the wrath of God and the justice of God as being that which expresses God's madness at us, when it's not that at all. It really is the mercy of God for us. John is not referring to the irrational passion so frequently found in ancient days when the gods of ancient times and mythology would speak of inflicting justice on people out of their anger for what they've done. Oh, you remember your days with any literature course or association where mythology has influenced the writers and where God acts as someone who got mad because things didn't happen the way they were supposed to. And so some cataclysmic event is dumped on the earth and the world because the gods got angry. Not so. Leon Morris, a great expositor, Defines God's wrath this way. I want you to listen carefully. The wrath of God is God's strong and settled opposition to all that is evil. God's wrath is a burning zeal for right, coupled with a perfect hatred for everything that is evil, a strong and settled opposition. God cannot tolerate evil. God does not accommodate evil. God does not make a place for it because it is something that is in any way good for us. Daryl Johnson says that in Revelation 15 and 16, we have an awful picture of how awfully serious God is about right and wrong, good and evil. Indeed we do. Judgment is horrible. Jesus gives John imagery that is intended to make us see and hear what God has done against that which is evil. And it is horrible. It's total. It's not just giving a part. It's not just a fourth or a third or a half. But it is total judgment and justice. But the judgment is justified. You heard in the sixth verse, they are worthy. Worthy of what? God's wrath is not arbitrary or whimsical or reactionary. It is that which comes for those who are worthy to receive it. J.I. Packer wrote, nobody stands under the wrath of God save those who have chosen to do so. You see, you must be clear, Revelation shows us that God isn't running around wanting to bring His pain and suffering upon those He's created. He isn't going around trying to inflict pain and anguish upon human beings because they made mistakes. He's actually carrying out His mercy and His grace and showing to us how much He loves us. through a lifetime of rejecting all the intrusions of God's grace into our lives and choosing not to follow Jesus, wrath is what we receive. Think of all the times that God brings grace through His creation, through His world, through all that is around us and fills us with images and events and actions over and over again but what comes to us when we choose not to receive it and not to hear it is judgment. This wrath is perfectly just. The altar cries out in this text, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are Your judgment. God's wrath is always just. Not because He just makes it just, but because from the very moment of its administration It gives to us a free way that we can move in the opposite direction and escape that judgment through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is pure justice. Lest we think that this is just for those horribly wicked and evil people that we read about in the newspaper who do horrible things and that we see on the news on television... Not so. Lest we think we can somehow point the finger at others, this person or that person, as to how horrible they are and how they deserve that judgment, it doesn't work that way. It never allows us such arrogance. Never. For judgment and wrath are all the ways in our own lives. Where we have sinned. Where we've chosen injustice rather than the way of walking in justice and mercy. It's when the, all of the ways where we have slipped and fallen and our response was, well, I didn't really mean to. It is for all the times that we have turned away from the urgent call of God to carry into the world the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's justice comes completely against all that stands against Him. Not in part, but fully and completely. Now imagine, imagine you are those first century Christians who hear this message in the midst of lives being crushed. It is suddenly your hope. It is the reminder to you then, and it is the reminder to us now that what we see is not all there is. That that which is around us is not all that there is, for there is more at work in what God is doing. So, dear friends, how can wrath be good news? How can it be good news? How in the world can it possibly be a topic for the first Sunday of Advent when we're wanting to turn our minds and turn our heads away from the pain of the world and to look at the sweetness of the child? How? Well, the context of the passage is critical to answer that. You see, in Revelation 12 and 13, it is made clear that as long as we live in this world, the disciples of Jesus will live in the middle of a huge battle. But the outcome of this battle has already been decided. The dragon of Revelation and those two cohorts that are described there have been defeated on the cross of Jesus Christ. Defeated. Utterly defeated. But God has given us this time. Satan still won't quit trying. He's doing his absolute best to do as much damage as possible to the people of God. He wants at all costs to keep as many from following Jesus in subtle and in obvious ways. And he wants to keep us from living in ways that build the kingdom of God and work in the world and carry mercy and grace and do justice where God's kingdom is more visible than the kingdom of evil. And he works and whips his ugly tail, but he cannot win. He cannot win. Friends, in this text, John wants us to know that while the battle rages on, Something else is going on. Something else that's utterly amazing. It's what makes this text such profound good news for us. The gospel is being announced to the world, it says. Three angels carrying the message of God out into the world, announcing judgment, but with the announcement of the judgment, they carry the good news of the gospel. Surely he is describing the work that we in the church do. Some might say, well, that's just the work of three angels or the heavenly angels. But I suggest to you that he has said to John and John to us that this is the message to give to messengers, that we are the messengers of that grace and of that mercy. Oh, no doubt the heavenly hosts are involved and the Holy Spirit is hard at work but so it is to the body of God's people, the church. We are in this time, and this is our calling. The season of God's eternal time is to be seen in Revelation with a real sense of urgency. This is not something we just kind of put off and and put out there on the shelf. I wonder what would happen to refugees that are ministered to in the name of Jesus Christ if it's just something that in due time might happen, might get tended to, the angels announce judgment, but in it they declare gospel and they're sent into the world. That's you and me. Daryl Johnson goes on to describe that together angels and the church comprise heaven's FedEx. Heaven's delivery service bringing gospel and good news to a world that is too often filled with evil, pain, and suffering. Wow. Now, I don't know about you, but around my house, our ears are attuned to a rumble of a particular diesel engine. It's either FedEx or UPS. You know, you can hear them blocks away. And when you hear the rumble of that engine, you know you do it. You begin to turn your ear there and you begin to think, are they going to bring a package here? Is something coming? Did did that delivery, is it going to be for me? My friends, the world is listening. But we're called not to just make rumbling sounds, but to deliver in the midst of this time what delivers the world in its only hope from the judgment against evil. When I was in seminary, I had a professor. His name was Ben Lacey Rose. Some of you may remember that name. It's a name well fixed in Presbyterian history. Dr. Ben, as we knew him, was teaching a course in pastoral theology, and it was the last class of the last course before graduation that we would take. That last day, he took his long, lanky self and sat up on the front of the desk in that class and he looked at us and he said, so today's the final day, right? Of course, we're all just excited. Yeah, this is it. We're done. He said, I want to tell you something. We've done a great job around here building you in to be professional ministers, but I don't think that's really important. He said, you're going out into a world that's a life or death business. There's a silence that fell over the room. He said there was a Sunday morning in Europe in a farmer's field Ben was a chaplain in World War II he gathered together early that day 15 young soldiers in a bomb crater. It was the way they did church He gathered them together and they were sitting there and he said, you know, they were so dirty you could smell them 20 yards away. They hadn't had a shower in weeks. And he said, the oldest one couldn't have been over 21 years old. And he said, the whole time they shook in fear. He said, I looked at those boys and I told them about John 3.16. And what God was doing to love them that nothing, not even the war, could take away. He said, we prayed and I gave them bread and wine and we celebrated communion. We sang Amazing Grace. And I sent them back to their foxholes. He said, that was Sunday morning. By Friday, they were all dead. Those who carry Jesus Christ are in the world in a life or death business. We're not about a world where we're supposed to bring greater value to life. Oh, I suppose we do that in some ways. But we have been sent into the world in this time between the defeat of Satan and the annihilation of all that is evil in the very end when Jesus comes. And he has given us this time in order to carry the message of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Three angels in the church. The messengers of God with the good news of Jesus Christ. John doesn't stop with the angel's message though. He takes it to a dramatic scene. The audiovisual continues in a dramatic way. He declares that one like the Son of Man is reaping a harvest. There is a grain harvest and there's a grape harvest. And he says he puts the sickle in and he harvests the fruit. First grain, then grapes. Sickles in the Bible are only used for what one wants to keep and hold and cherish. The picture is about a wine press that the grapes are taken to. It says it's outside the city. Well, we know what's outside the city. The first century Christians knew what it was. It's that which took place just outside the city. It is Golgotha. It is Calvary. It is the cross of Jesus Christ that is the winepress of salvation. And it says that that winepress produced blood that was so deep that it rose to the bridle of a horse For 1,600 stadia, it's a geographic term, and it means that that's 180 miles. It reaches from the city of Tyre to the Egyptian border to a horse's bridle. It is the announcement that there is grace sufficient for all who will come. There's nothing else that God needs to do. There's nothing else that He must accomplish. But He has given to us in His judgment, placed upon the shoulders of His Son, the only one who could carry it, the mercy of God, the judgment of God. It's a dramatic image. But it's not just an image and it's not just a dramatic scene. It's the gospel truth. And it is the truth that through the blood of Jesus Christ there is hope that we are to carry into a world that is broken, that is dying, that is suffering. And so what does this say to us right now? What are we to take from this in 2020 Advent week one? Friends, it's the strongest word of encouragement and hope that you can be given. John has pulled back the curtain at times that seem dismal where discouragement seems to be rampant and he has shown us what is in this time and this season that things are not what they seem but that the power of God is at work and that He is the one who wins. Friends, we all encounter or come against things that are very hard right now. We can't always figure them out. Goodness, we can't always figure out exactly where we feel or stand on the things. But the truth of the matter is that there is that at work which is greater than all evil pressing in upon the world. And that is Jesus Christ. Oh, the dragon and his two co-workers keep coming at us. They keep causing us pain and hurt. They keep making us stumble. But they cannot win. And so this day, we know beyond question, John unveils to us that there is blood enough which says to you and me that there is nothing too evil, there is nothing too ugly, there is nothing too bad or horrible in any of our lives that cannot be judged and washed and made clean in Jesus Christ. Friends, that is the word of hope. And so as we prepare to receive the Christ child in a fresh and a new way, and as we prepare to celebrate that He's coming again, which will be the utter end to all that evil even knows, be encouraged. When you look and what you see, you do not see it all, but know that God is at work, working His purposes out. As year moves to year and season moves to season. But there's something for us here to do. There's a strong message in this passage for the church of Jesus Christ. We are messengers of that gospel. We are the ones called to carry that truth to the ends of the earth. The angel announced, the time is now. It is an urgency. The time is now. The judge has come. The verdict is decided. And this is now the time for that message to go to the world. For the people of God to build and work in societies, in communities, in cities, in places all around and make the kingdom of God visible and to carry in the midst of that the gospel. The story of the sufficient blood in Jesus Christ. We with the angels of heaven are sent to every inch of this earth. It's not a recruitment call for those who will. It is the statement of task and mission for the church of Jesus. The text says, then I saw another angel flying directly overhead an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation, to every tribe, to every language, and to every people. So, my friends, until it's done, that's our task. And we do it because we know judgment has come against evil, and evil cannot overcome it. Thanks be to God for good news such as this right now in this day. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, fill us with the power that the truth of your gospel brings. Help us to catch just a bit of what those early Christians must have felt and known that as hard as life and world was they were not defeated for you had brought your judgment and wrath to the world against evil and it is mercy for us for in you we can live Lord fill us with a a burning desire for a mission such as this to the ends of the earth. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.